Welcome back to episode 19 of Art Matters, the podcast for artists. My guest today is Brooklyn-based artist Jacqueline Cedar. Jacqueline is LA-born, Brooklyn-based, and received her MFA in visual arts from Columbia University in 2009. In her recent work, Cedar captures the subtleties of shared secrets, the unspoken exchanges of desire, and the fleeting yet profound connections that define our lives. Jacqueline is also the founder of the Good Naked Gallery here in Brooklyn. A quick note before we begin to my New York listeners. At the time of air, Jacqueline's solo show, Trist, will be up at Shelter Gallery on the Lower East Side through December 10th. Now here's that conversation with the artist Jacqueline Cedar. We'll, We'll get into that too, but... When you were talking about permanence and impermanence mm-hmm. uh, in regard to scale, the big ones felt too permanent, I mm-hmm. think you said, for the sort of the chaos that the whole world was in and you were in at that time. And I wonder, with that as the just jumping off point, if you could explain a few different ways how you feel the scale of your work what it suggests, what it tells you it is, the differences in making it, Mm -hmm. and specifically in terms of permanence, because I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, um, well, I think there's, like, like I have, like, a romantic answer to that, and also just, like, more practical ideas around those questions, Uh but, um, I mean, I think because I've always been interested in working with figuration, for a long time, it was important to me that the figure be close to life scale so that mm-hmm. um, a viewer might feel as if they could enter the work in some way. Um, and so in order to have enough space to include an environment around them, I started working quite large, Makes like sense. six by eight foot paintings around then. Um, and then at a certain point, I think um, that idea became less precious to me. Spe- yeah. And even more specifically around pandemic time, I really felt like this gets to the practical end of things. Like, Mm. I don't know if I can stay in New York. I don't know where I'm going to be in the next year. I don't, you know, I just, I already have, you know, I I make a lot of work. And so I'd already (laughs) amassed quite a collection of objects. And I, yeah. yeah, And so there was just like this real question of, do I want to keep making these big things that I might have to move somewhere, you know, pretty eminent, imminently. Um, and so, yeah, and then there was just this idea of, like, I've always been a really social person, and I love being outside, and mm. a studio practice, I find, can be quite solitary and often requires, you know, an indoor space, you know, mm-hmm. for all of the materials and equipment, whatever. Um, and so I found myself just really looking for ways to make the studio more portable. Mm. And, um, yeah, so working at a smaller scale became a really nice solution to that, you know, to those questions. Hmm. And um, I think just in terms of making, I mean, you know this from making large work. Like, uh, it's such a physical experience to mm-hmm. make a larger work. You're standing a lot of the time. There's, like, moving back and forth between one end of the studio and the other to get perspective. Sure. Um, and, you know, and then there are just the, like... <laughs> the things you can get away with in a large painting versus a small painting, <laughs> like what shows up, you know, because um, I find as I've transitioned to working smaller, everything is visible in a way that is different from when you have kind of a larger scale in some way. You said you can get away with more with mm-hmm. a big painting because 
maybe your eyes take longer to move around the piece and maybe a gesture can hold its own versus when you're dealing with these these smaller strokes it all has does it have to be more perfect or more precious would you say or those not the words like everything is visible almost Mm -hmm. immediately and so it's less forgiving maybe okay interesting in my opinion Mm -hmm. and um and yeah there's also you know this kind of dance that you do as an artist and as a viewer when you're trying to get a sense of the whole picture on a large scale work, um, but also trying to look at the details. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of making something big is that Mm. you get to kind of like have all these different physical and tactile experiences with an object. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess I just feel with something smaller that um, yeah, there's less maybe of that back and forth. There's definitely like movement across the surface and maybe even like, you know, there's depth, but it's a smaller scope or something. Mm. Yeah. Besides the sort of like the bliss of getting out of the studio and, um, and that, I I mean, uh, let me actually step back for a moment. You're not doing plain air painting really. Mm -mm. I mean, this, that doesn't seem to be your thing. Maybe are you inspired a little bit by the outdoor surroundings or, or, and does that show up in the work or is it more just, you know, almost therapeutic for mm-hmm. you, a therapeutic addition to your <laughs> painting process. Um, it definitely, I mean, I'm definitely inspired by my environment daily mm-hmm. and, um, it shows up in the work in less direct ways though. Like I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily sit outside and paint the flower that I'm sitting in front of, right. but I might, you know, take a photo along the way to the destination where I'm sitting and then come back to an image as a reference later back in the studio. Um, a lot of times it, at least over the last few years when I was working outside, I might take a moment to sit, look around, catch a gesture of someone walking by, and that might begin an image that would then transform into something completely different, you know, Mm -hmm. but it would just be a starting point. Mm -hmm. Um, So a little bit more associatively, I guess. With these, prior to bringing the canvas outside, would you and have... it wasn't canvas it was mostly drawings at that point and oh. like and then just like watercolor on paper very interesting because yeah. that's just where i wanted to take it with the bigger pieces and earlier in your in your career or your oeuvre um <laughs> would you would you have these big pieces start as drawings would they and sometimes would they then in the same way be inspired by daily life mm-hmm. or are the bigger ones something that are kind of hatched fully formed in the studio um i guess you could draw in the studio and hatch them that way too yeah. but is there a drawing background with the with the larger so, pieces you know i when i started in college i felt like making a drawing ahead of a painting was really counterintuitive to my process i hmm. really didn't want to overwork the idea before i got to the actual object and it hmm. felt really important at that time um, in the beginning of my painting experiments that I, you know, that I just go, Got like I'd, I'd work through the idea in my mind and then I just went straight to the canvas and it was like a very immediate, like maybe I'd spent a lot of time thinking through it, but there was no drawing really. And maybe I would refer a little bit more to, to photographs or references. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was like kind of the further along I got, the more I realized, oh, you can work on the same image over and over again and still generate new ideas. And there's no, it doesn't cancel anything out and it became quite generative in a way that is obvious to most artists. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people make multiple sketches of an idea before they start. Um, 
So yeah, I wasn't doing that in the beginning, but I've kind of come around to that. Um, more recently, I spend a lot of time drawing ahead of, ahead of paintings, but usually like just tiny little thumbnail sketches and a lot of writing, just like phrases to help me remember an idea. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe like notes about color or like atmosphere, but not still not a finished drawing. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'll make another painting of the same idea, but usually the drawings are their own finished objects. And yeah, yeah. like you've shown me a couple of them. So it seems like there's two very clear, uh, like disparate gears in your drawing. There's the drawing that is the sort of crux or the foundation for the newer work with these notes with mm-hmm. these and then and then there are the drawings that are kind of these beautiful finished uh things that i think you said take even longer than some of the paintings mm-hmm. right yeah yeah they surprisingly do i think it's just because there's so it takes so much more mark making to fill a surface Absolutely. <laughs> like yeah, i had been yeah. drawing a lot and when i got back to painting i realized oh man like you get and also, like, with colored pencil, I found, like, you ha- I had this huge set of colored pencils, so, like, every color was available at mm-hmm. the ready. And all of a sudden, I got sort of lazy about just, like, not having to mix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you just kind of have all of these kind of uh, shortcuts in some ways. So, anyways, it's fun to, to work in that way for a while. What tells you to make a drawing like that versus one of these paintings? Um, there's certainly, it looks like there are many more paintings than drawings. Is it? Uh, is it sort of um yeah what tells you to go to zig versus zag yeah well i mean i think it it was again like a more practical choice at the time um like i have stacks yeah i have stacks of drawings here i could show you but um but yeah i don't know i mean i think there's definitely something about the surface of a drawing that is completely different from a painting and Mm -hmm. sometimes an image feels like it calls for that and then um sometimes i just again, like want the external <laughs> elements to be in, you know, in place so that I can, um, yeah, work in a different environment. And so that's what dictates the, the material choice. I gotcha. What about the number of works that you take on at a time? Um, you mentioned that it's, you don't work on one painting and then the next painting, yeah. it seems like you create, I mean, I, I also work on a couple of paintings at yeah. once, but it, it looks like you really go for the, the full, yeah. <laughs> not the full, but you go for sort of a maximalist output. Mm-hmm. Was it always that way? And then what do you think that you, you like about having um, a frenzy of unfinished works mm-hmm. and, or, or maybe it's all very calculated. Yeah. And controlled. I don't know, but just so much happening at once mm-hmm. um i think well again it you know it comes from some practical um ideas around um productivity which is like maybe not again the most romantic way of talking about things but i love uh, yeah. talking about productivity <laughs> yeah. as much as you got yep. i mean I, like yeah i love a life hack and um i yeah i remember uh in college and in grad school having a lot of moments where i felt stuck like i didn't know how to get started on a work like i had all the time and space and not a lot of clarity in terms of where to move first and there was so much i feel like um questioning around that time around like what is like the best choice if i'm going to invest especially in a large work and i know it's going to take me like four to six weeks to make something which is the image that i focus on you know And so I think having for like at the time, once I got out of grad school, I had this space and I I could work on like four or six big paintings at a time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just remember feeling like, okay, if I have four 
some images started and I get stuck on one, there's always another to return to. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you're out of school and you don't have infinite time and space to just ruminate mm-hmm. <laughs> in this luxurious way, uh, yeah, it becomes really important to be efficient in some ways in the studio. Cause it's so precious that time outside of, you know, whatever you're, if you have a day job, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I think like from a practical standpoint, it can be really helpful for getting going. Like there's always something I can return to in the studio. Mm-hmm. And then, um, creatively, I find that, um, you know, I'll find, I'll figure something out in one that helps me get back into the other. Right. So they yeah. kind of like help the whole body grow and then they don't feel as disparate. Like I, my style, you know, I think artists always think that their styles change even when it's like quite, you know, <laughs> tiny. <laughs> even on but, micro yeah, change yeah, yeah, for yeah, us. Right, is, it feels huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do feel like, you know, the styles change from, you know, month to month, year to year. And so if you're making things as a group, it can create a little bit more of a consistency in the body as you build it up together. Now that makes perfect sense. Do you then after a uh, solo show opens or, you know, one of these micro changes right. happens, do you tend to clean out the studio? I, by that, I mean, turn everything around mm-hmm. so you can, so you're no longer influenced by whatever's still around. Um, sometimes, yeah, I, I guess it just depends what mode I'm in. Sometimes it really feels important to have a, a clean slate. And then other times it can be really interesting to pull something out that you haven't looked at in a while and mm. think about how it still connects. So, um, yeah, it just depends, I guess, on what, like what the goals are. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. And do you have this, when it comes to this maximalism, I'm calling it that because mm-hmm. I work not one at a time, but slowly mm-hmm. and then much more, uh, what's a nice way to put it? <laughs> I don't know. Intensely on one image. I like won't let images die, right? right? A painting will not die. But do you find <laughs> that when you're preparing, I think you said something about this upcoming show you have that you're just, um, you edit after. And what what's that editing like so I, I think just by hearing that phrase from you i feel like i know a little bit more about how you paint which is just like you know you are you are just making you're mm. producing and that's the kind of versus some artists that are like carefully editing while they're doing mm. well is this painting gonna work with this <laughs> painting so what is it like to edit after the fact and do you find is there normally like a percentage of works that make the cut um, like 50% or 90%. Um, and yeah, how did you get to, how did you start doing it that way is probably a pointless question, but tell me about how that works. The yeah. editing after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I, like I definitely have a, a little bit of a more is more, <laughs> um, yeah. as like, just it's hard, it's hard to edit, right? Because, um, you work on a lot of things and by the time you have an opportunity to show them, you know, you want to show as much as you can. And yet there, there's something like so slick and cool about like a really minimally hung show, For you know? Sure. Yeah. And so I'm, I feel like I'm always grappling with that in my studio and also with the gallery, just like, okay, I want to, I want it to be really clean and tight. And then also I just like want to show as many works as possible. Um, so that's a little bit of like an internal um, struggle. So the editing starts to interrupt, yeah. but then does that mean that, um, that there's not as much editing before it all goes to the gallery and then the editing takes place in the gallery, kind of this can go here or is there, or is there an editing that happens before the shipment where it's mm-hmm. 
you know, all of this can go, but this mm-hmm. is staying here. This doesn't, you know, like yeah. I said, make the cuts. Sometimes a little bit of both. I okay. mean, I, I really like collaborating with galleries and curators and, you know, it's just nice to see your work through someone else's lens. For and sure. so like, I have pretty strong opinions about how I like my work to be viewed, but I also am really interested in hearing how other people see things because, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I feel like most artists have a pretty clear idea of what you know, how something got started in process and like what the original image or intent might have been. And then you put it out in the world and it could be read in a completely different way. So, um, I think though, like in terms of editing in studio, in process, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've really had to turn off that part of my brain. You know, I talked about like kind of feeling stuck in school, a lot of times just being stilted by this question of like, what was the right move? Mm. And I find that again, like one of the benefits of having a life outside of school is that like practical things sort of help you to be more decisive because Mm. there's only so much time. Right. Right. And, um, so I, yeah, I find that I'm more interested in just getting going and usually I can, I can figure out a way to make the image work as I go, as opposed to like stopping all along the way and going like, Oh, I don't know. Is this the right one? Should I go to something else? And that's where having more to work on at once helps too. Cause if I feel like, Oh, I'm just not really into this right now mm-hmm. and come back to it later and still keep going. What about, uh, working when you, um, I feel like this is a cliche question, but I think <laughs> a lot of people have, it. Yeah. um, uh, feeling inspired when you, enter the studio Mm -hmm. do you listen to that voice anymore i don't Mm -hmm. think anyone is always inspired to go into the studio but (laughs) does it do you work better when you are so i feel like some people work better or have a really good fix or solve for when they're not that can be even more you know risky and rebellious do you you know about that block. So what do you do when you have this precious time in front of you and you get in here and even as many paintings as you have, you're just like, right. Yeah. I, who's the, there's a, an actor that talks about nope days, which I always thought was like a really amazing expression. He was was saying it in in reference to working out, but I think, I think it's similar to making art actually. Sure. Nope days. Yeah. Just like you you get to the gym, you're on the treadmill and your body just says no. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And, um, I, I kind of, I feel that a lot in the studio, like I think most artists do at mm-hmm. some, you know, for me, like being an artist, making art, it's all about pleasure. Like there's, there's work involved, but it has to be fun and pleasurable, like the bulk of it, you know? And so if my like body and brain are saying no, I really try to listen to that <laughs> because at, like sometimes I just think it, for me personally, again, like some artists work through, you know, discomfort in really productive ways. For mm-hmm. me, I find it just to be not all that useful. Um, so I try to use time when I don't feel like working, um, to do research and kind of calibrate, um, and really kind of, um, just look for resources, information that, you know, can, can be useful when I get back in. And maybe that just means taking a break and having space to not work, which mm-hmm. is hard for someone like me because <laughs> I'm like a, a real work person. Like uh-huh. I just like to be active. Um, but yeah, I think like learning to step away when it's just a no day is really helpful. <laughs> I think that's great. And I appreciate you separating the two. There's probably more types as well. But the idea that, you know, if you force through a nope day, mm-hmm. um, some people can handle it mm-hmm. and get a lot out. And then other people, I'd probably count myself lately as the the other group because it's, I think I start intellectualizing and mm-hmm. getting very 
analytical and it becomes this sort of like logistics, not, not logistics, just logic. Mm -hmm. And I start logicking my way through painting Uh and yeah, not much joy and kind of like, and it's, you know, maybe I guess sometimes that can have a move the painting a step or two forward. But Mm -hmm. I very much like that, that camp that you described where you, what I like about your answer is that it's, it's up to you to find that awareness about mm-hmm. which type you are, <laughs> totally. you know, versus. Yeah. And I mean, like, is like my dad's an actor and he talks a lot about like using those kinds of feelings in his work, which I think can be really, you know, productive for someone who's dealing with emotions on mm. all layers of the spectrum, you know, yeah. but, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've yet to figure out a way to make that work for me, but who knows, maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah. Do you, this is kind of the same question. So I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but, do you think you're a very emotional painter is is maybe that if we were to substitute the word inspiration for Mm -hmm. just like an emotional day, um, Mm -hmm. good or bad, do you feel like either of those, um, mind states benefits your painting or hurts your painting Mm -hmm. or I don't know, third option. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I, I like to be in, in a like kind of, very solid and present, positive headspace okay. when I come into the studio. I, yeah, I don't think that, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think about if there have been, like, mopey days that were useful. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Or pure rage days yeah, that yeah, are Yeah, no, uh, rage doesn't usually help me in the studio, but, like, maybe it should, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like, I do, I do, you know, I'm, I think, like, a lot of artists, I'm a very, like, sensitive and, like, intuitive person, so a lot of those elements you know, uh, factor into the way I make imagery. Um, Mm. but I don't know if, yeah, that particular emotional state is, is helping me so far. Yeah. Um, speaking of joy and, and enjoyment, Mm -hmm. uh, with the move from the big to small work, and I don't mean to simplify, there's Mm -hmm. other stuff going on there too, but do you find that there's a difference in enjoyment? Is there something about the big paintings outside of the practical mm-hmm. concerns that you had before? Do you find the same, um, you know, labor is to make a painting big or small, but then it's the question of whether you find joy in that labor. Mm-hmm. Do you, do they kind of even out for you? Um, the big and the small, we were talking about how it's, you know, there are these qualities that are different. The actual making is different, you know, um, uh, how clear everything is on a small painting mm-hmm. versus big. But outside of that, do you like one more than the other? They both kind of sit in the same um, place. No, I think, I think it really is like what I'm in the mood for. Right. Sure. But I love both. I think that like starting a painting is the most pleasurable part. It's mm. so exciting. Um, and that, like, kind of first stroke on a surface just feels like it always looks good. <laughs> you know, like, there's just, like, something really fun about just getting going. And for me, like, the like the making of the image is really exciting. And then a lot of the middle is figuring out how, you know, how to really make it sing. And so that part feels a little mm. bit more labor-intensive sometimes. Um mm. But I think, like, I, yeah, I find there to be a lot of pleasure in um, putting, yeah, putting color on a surface and really mm-hmm. just, like, 
seeing how it behaves and then that sort of problem solving element of figuring out like which colors, you know, want to be together and, you know, how to make it actually look like you, what you've envisioned, which it rarely gets exactly there, which is what's interesting, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The problem solving part, I think uh, I'm unlike you in the first part. I never <laughs> like the first days yeah, of yeah. painting. I always have to kind of only look at the painting at the end of the, the day yeah. it, through the corner of my eye. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, eh, it'll get better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, well, there's that the for sure. Solving. There's that for yeah. sure. Yeah. But I think just like when I have an idea for an image, I like there's a little bit of worry about like, okay, how am I going to get it down? And I want to make sure I get it down in the right way. Like that first move feels important. Mm-hmm. And so like once you get it down, it's like, okay, like first step, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we made it. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then just a little bit more about the, the origin of, of the images. I do think that there's like a, how to put this, a, like a more concrete, uh, image imagery that's coming out of these works and, mm-hmm. and the large one I know that's in process compared to mm-hmm. obviously your older work, which, um, both on canvas and on fabric and maybe employing more like bleeding and uh, I'm putting words now dying or, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a little bit more of that, that, um, uh, looseness. Mm-hmm. Your work is still loose, but I guess I'm wondering how, if the paintings, what really that thumbnail is, what that guide is mm-hmm. that you start with, if the colors are already there and the composition is there. And then if these, change as much as you problem solve as some of the more wild pieces from Mm -hmm. years before is it still kind of yeah so just a little more about that starting process and then uh now we're in this this body of work if it if it really evolves as you as you paint Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess it changes image to image but Mm -hmm. i like i think with these previous um larger works a lot of times they actually started from a much more concrete drawing and became oh, true? more abstract as they got larger. Yeah. Interesting. And then actually I would say it's maybe the opposite with the small ones right now. Not like, not for any particular reason, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, I kind of work intuitively that way. So the thumbnail sketches, it's just a way to get the idea down. So I remember it, you mm-hmm. know, cause a lot of times I'll have chunks of time where I just can't be in the studio. Mm. And so I'm just really gathering ideas for later. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, I kind of go in and out of, depending on the image again, like if I feel like I need to work it out more, like maybe if it's from my imagination from a dream, for example, mm-hmm. and I don't have a photographic reference point or I haven't actually seen it out in the world, then I, I do tend to spend a little bit more time trying to work out what the options are for what it, you know, how to make it manifest. Sure. Um, and then, you know, sometimes like, a number of these are based on photographs that I've taken and, you know, they're changing as they go. But I think when there's a more concrete image, I don't need the sketch as much. Um, uh, that's just where I want to go next. We've talked a little bit about photography, which goes kind of far back with you. Mm-hmm. Photography has been of interest to you for a while mm-hmm. and using it as a bit of reference here. Um, is there something I think you mentioned before you like the, well, the speed of it, I think that was the context. Um, but has photography always paralleled the painting for you? Is it a medium that you feel like you can take 
uh, in a totally different direction and it is its own thing is it a can it be a break from painting or mm-hmm. yeah maybe that's it uh, is it always paired with painting in your history for the most part or is mm-hmm. it kind of its own beast that just occasionally comes in and gives you ideas for painting yeah um well in college it was really its own thing and i was okay. using a four by five and really like slowing down the image and just taking 10 shots at a time and mm. kind of like waiting for something to arise out in the world um that i could capture but but also like really setting up the scene and kind of um manipulating gestures a little bit to help control the narrative okay. um and I was making painting all the while, um, and every once in a while using f- my own photography as reference for mm. paintings. And I, I remember getting into grad school and just feeling like the painting was really relying so much on the photograph, and I, I was interested in changing that part of the process. Interesting. And it just felt like um, really freeing to not have to have an image. Yeah. Um, and so I started doing a lot of drawing and working for my imagination and kind of figuring out a way to use the drawing on its own um, to to get ready for a painting. And uh, that was really fun and different and kind of changed. I think the figures got a little bit more cartoonish and exaggerated and there was humor in that. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of pleasure in discovering like what that line or gesture might look like. Um how to capture a body or an expression with like an economy of line. Um, and yeah, but like all the while I've always taken photos just cause it's fun to remember things. And it's a Mm. way of, again, like doing research and capturing ideas that I can come back to later. Um, and so, yeah, as I was kind of getting going with this new group of paintings, I started thinking, well, like I have all these images that, that I've been thinking about already. Like, let me maybe, dig into those a little bit more and think about how they can inform the new work, not necessarily on a one-to-one, like they're by no means mm-hmm. <laughs> like reproductions, but, um, yeah. but they've become a little bit more of a starting point. Oh, that's so interesting. I, and I, I think I'd want to share this too, because I also used to rely very, very heavily on, on photo reference. Mm-hmm. And I haven't thought about this in so long, so I'm glad you brought it up, but the, the switch to coming up with, you know, painting what's in your head, mm-hmm. it was such a an odd and awkward period of time, mm-hmm. and and also so I don't know, kind of exciting, and and it led to so much. But I think that that's I I should probably spend more time thinking about how to actually address it because I think it's one of the most important moves I've made mm-hmm. as a painter is starting to work out of my own imagination not because what was in my own imagination <laughs> was so damn good yeah. like it's not that but it was just the first bit of trust mm-hmm. maybe where I could I even started kind of getting a chuckle out of how poorly I uh, remembered things or, or the the difference I still remember this moment when I thought I knew what a car door looks right. like and I drew it and <laughs> yeah, I was like that's not right, a car that? door yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of cool I think um, all I'll say further about it is it's it's so important I think for artists to check that out 
doesn't mean you can't use photo reference right Mm -hmm. after, but I think it's so helpful to put yourself through that, just Mm -hmm. working from your head, because it's cool to know that what stopped me is how limited I felt. Uh Really? This is, didn't I already paint this shape? Didn't I already draw this kind of line? Like you see the stuff that you sort of instinctively draw Mm -hmm. or paint. And I, I don't know if this was the same for you, but you see that, or I saw that, and I was... It's just like you see the edges of your own creativity. Mm-hmm. But before, you know, doing this experiment, maybe you don't know exactly where your creativity edges are. Uh-huh. And then they can... And then you can start building them right. out a little bit. But I just... I'm yeah. glad you brought it up. It's just such a a funny period of time for me, you know? Yeah, no, it's such an interesting idea to think about. Yeah, like how, also, yeah, just thinking about, okay, like I saw this thing, I have a clear memory in my mind, but actually like trying to picture it and see it and draw it, you know, Mm -hmm. like as if you're looking at something from life, but really you just have that like kind of faded memory. Yeah. And it's really fun to try to figure out what you can catch from that Mm -hmm. and record and like what gets lost. And then also like, yeah, I think there's a lot more space for invention um, mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, it can be really fascinating. And then and then there's, like, also confidence and freedom and, yeah, just not having to be a slave to a reference, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two different ways of thinking. Like, it's, um, yeah, I, I am very glad that I spent my, those early years with the photo reference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you don't really hear about that in school so much you know you but the photo reference working from photos for a while understanding what that looks like that sort of flatness that it Mm -hmm. creates and then how that fits onto a surface you know there's there's so much there too so i think that in the old days maybe they're still talking about it like this it's like one is bad and the other is good or this is you know this is less than that and it's all nonsense because you want to grab all of it and Mm -hmm. you want to try it all on right yeah 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 but it is really interesting like kind of in looking at the finished work yeah you kind of do feel those differences yeah Mm -hmm. there's so many Mm -hmm. um just something you mentioned and i i like to touch on this when i can which is you were uh, you went from college if i'm correct and correct me if i'm not did you go directly to grad school after college Can you talk a little bit about that decision and you were in art school at UCLA? Was it a, so you were like in it already, like art, art? Um, Yeah, I was an art major. I was really into art in high school. I knew I wanted to study art in college, but I I specifically chose UCLA because I had a lot of interests and I knew I might want to explore other things. Understood. Yeah. And then did you, what was sort of the impetus for you to uh, continue right on to get the master's? Uh, compared to maybe an idea where you uh, take time in between or compared to the idea like "Eh, that's enough art school for (laughs) me or is there another one anyway Mm -hmm. maybe between those two (laughs) or uh, yes yeah Yeah. Um, well I I was 21 when I finished college Mm. I was um, at the time I had been doing a little bit of teaching at the Hammer Museum which is connected to UCLA I gave tours there yeah it's a really sweet place and it's like kind of where I learned to teach and um, I had a feeling that I would probably want to continue teaching maybe in higher ed or elsewhere and so it made and, and I didn't want to, and I didn't yeah. want to stop making art it, and I didn't know what else 
to do, you know? So it felt like the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, I wasn't totally thoughtful in terms of like what a life as a working artist looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe I'll, you know, get a gallery and sell my work. Maybe I'll do teaching, but I hadn't really manifested all, all of the ways that it can be challenging and interesting. And so, uh, it was really just like, I'm going to apply and see. And then I was lucky enough to get into some great schools. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I gave it a go. And how was that thought process different two years later after mm-hmm. Columbia? Yeah. Columbia. Yeah. yeah. What was, um, did you still feel those same ways? Did you feel more prepared for what happened next? And then my next question will be what happened next? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I w- I've been thinking a lot. I feel like I've had a lot of conversations recently about grad school and, mm. um, yeah, there's all this debate around what, you know, what the useful moves are, um, as an artist, uh, especially it's very now. Individual yeah, 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 yeah. But I, um, for me, it was, it was great. Um, I, I got a lot out of that program. I worked with some really amazing faculty, um, interesting peer group. Um, New York was an education in and of itself. Sure. And, and I didn't, I didn't feel ready to leave. I felt like I had made some connections and I, I had started teaching a little bit in some after school programs for a foundation on the weekends while I was in school. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it felt like there was more there to explore. And I got into a couple shows. And so, yeah, your question was, how, how did I feel afterwards? Yeah. So if how you I felt, felt after, like you yeah. That base right. Or, so, yeah. well, I mean, when I think back on it, a lot of the teaching gigs that I, live off of now, mm. um, came out of having an MFA. Mm. So in that way, it was really useful. Right. Okay. And then in terms of connections and conversations and just like building myself as an artist, definitely important. Mm. I think, you know, there are a million ways you could do it without that probably. Yeah. Um, but for where I was at in life, it was amazing. Of course, like the expense of it is not insignificant. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, so there's all of those things to weigh. But I felt I felt really lucky to have you know the ability to do that. And then um, you know I moved into most of my work now outside of the studio is museum teaching, mm-hmm. and so a huge part of my kind of stability in New York revolves around having all these amazing institutions to work at and. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really made it possible for me to make art in the city. Can you, um, can you tell me just a little about what you mean by museum teaching? Like, I, yeah, um, yeah I guess I'm just unfamiliar with this, with this. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's really, as far as I understand, it's very specific to New York. There's like a robust, um, you know, set of institutions that create programming for you know new york city students public Mm -hmm. and private schools and so um i was working right out of school at the guggenheim eventually at moma whitney uh the met um and giving school tours and then um additionally at some point transitioning to teaching painting and drawing classes for adults in Um, the museums mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah it's like one of these things that is so specific to new york right because we have Mm -hmm. all these amazing institutions and there's like a cultural support of art education like more so than in most places i would say Mm -hmm. and so you know a lot of new york city kids are taking regular field trips to museums um which is like not something that i really did when i was a kid you know and i went to a private school yeah so um it's kind of amazing yeah Mm -hmm. and i feel really lucky to be part of it because i love 
I love teaching and I also love being around the art. So it's like these two things that get to come together in a really interesting way. How do you get into, um, I mean, asking individual career path questions, it's always uh, a bit problematic, but did you apply to these jobs? Was it really just, um, or connections from school and then, um, it's like a variety of things. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, connections are always helpful for better or worse. Um, in grad school, one of my mentors introduced me to the folks who ran the, the John Mitchell foundation, which is the first place I ended up teaching in New York. Um, so they were the first people to hire me and I Mm -hmm. came in as an assistant teacher and kind of worked my way up to lead. And, um, and it was a really beautiful model because a lot of teaching is, you know, learned in practice. And so you got to kind of study under this mentorship with a lead educator and then eventually take on your own class. It sounds so much cooler so than nice. yeah. not to shit on adjunct uh, work, you yeah. know, and then those sorts of programs. But yeah. that does sound kind of delightful compared to you know, the so drawing essen- classes so essential. that are just sort of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I you're did, getting that education yourself. Yeah. As like on site. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I did end up adjuncting at Columbia for a couple of semesters, which mm-hmm. was also wonderful. And I felt really lucky to get to do that. And that uh-huh. was one of the benefits of being at that school. Um, but, um, yeah, two totally different things. And, you know, I've since done adjuncting at other places and every school is different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like the first job came from, you know, a connection through school. And then I had a friend who was an artist who was volunteering at the Guggenheim and she introduced me to the volunteer coordinator. So I started as a volunteer nice. and kind of worked my way up there, you know, so it was like kind of slow and steady. And then my boss at the Guggenheim moved to the Met and she brought me to the Met. You know what I mean? So there's just sort of like yeah. one step at a time. There was a point where I had like six jobs and like needed all six to cobble together a living wage mm-hmm. in the city. You know what I mean? But was I really it close to full time work at that point. No, 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 I mean, not at I mean okay, okay, okay. well, I you know, I guess if you yeah, add up all six of the six classes and but, uh yeah. But it was like you know, it's sort of piecemeal because you're freelance, you kind of just work when there's work, right? Yeah, um right. so it's a little bit of like feast and famine. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, for somebody in their twenties, like now I feel a little bit old <laughs> and, you know, I'm not as like able to run to as many locations in one day as I used to be, mm-hmm. but, um, without needing a nap, but, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, it was like, it was a very exciting and, um, inspiring way to get going and yeah, to figure out how to survive here, which I felt like. There was some conversation about it in grad school, and I feel lucky people like Jackie Battenfield was there. You know, she was like a mate. I called her like my like life coach, you know, because they had some practical classes around hmm. working as an artist. Um, but really, there was not a huge amount of talk about what it meant or what it really looked like, because there's so many different ways that people survive as artists and figure out how to support their practice. Yeah. And so there was a lot, you know, there were like a number of years trying to build and figure out, yeah, what that would be. And, you know, it's like still in the making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you still currently teaching anywhere? Yeah, I teach now primarily at the Whitney, the Met, and a little bit at MoMA. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so now we haven't even gotten to your yeah. gallery, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm now getting in. Yeah. <laughs> now you have an understanding of my. I'm trying to fit it all into a, yeah. uh, you know, a a full week here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it does sound like you keep yourself busy. That's true. <laughs> so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pull a a, a fast one on you. I okay. want to get into all of that more, but okay. if your schedule sounds as <sighs> Uh, full and um, 
you know, energy requiring as I think it, it is, do you have, um, do you have any, um, tips or tricks that help you self-regulate, give you balance? Because none of, I think painting can be balancing Mm -hmm. if you're lucky and maybe, you know, depending on the day. I have done some teaching uh, with, mostly with younger kids, but, you know, a bit like young artists, undergrad. I don't think I would ever call that relaxing. I think it's either (laughs) incredibly challenging or it takes a lot. Physically and emotionally. Yeah, physically, emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, never even tried to uh, start my own gallery. So are there, A, can you just handle this kind of pressure and, um, and, and productivity? Is it just, no, it's easy or oh, not easy, but it's comes naturally to you and you don't need something to, uh, balance it out. Or have you found, um, I don't know. I, uh, I like to get with this podcast into, um, not self-help, but just <laughs> how artists ask questions about how artists take care of themselves. Sure. Because I think yeah. so many of us are very productive and yet think they're unproductive and mm-hmm. can be very rough on ourselves. Yeah. And I can't imagine you do that with this many responsibilities. <laughs> so what are you like a three hour a day meditator? Um, <laughs> can you deep breather? Uh, what's, <laughs> your, what's your secret? Um, well, you know, human like the rest of us. Uh-huh. All <laughs> so, right. All right. Um, I think I, I tend to have a personality type that really thrives in motion, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to be active and so that suits me. Okay. Um, I do like everyone burn out if I, you know, push too hard. And so, you know, a lot of reminding, right? Myself to slow down, I think is essential, especially in a city like New York. Yeah. Um, where you can, really fill every minute and still miss everything. (laughs) You know, there's just like, so like, especially if you have a community of artists that you're connected to and you, you know, you want to try to go see every show, this is just not possible. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I try to kind of, um, really pace myself in that way. Um, you know, I like, I need personally a lot of social time. So like, I like to see people every day outside of teaching, right? Because teaching is, social in a very different way. Right. Um, so I like to like have time to check in with other friends, humans <laughs> that are, you know, sometimes even not art related. So you can kind of just have space from that. <laughs> not art related humans. And, um, you fit them in too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, you know, I live near the park and the beach. So yeah. like nature is a real respite. Um, a lot of movies and theater, I feel like are one of the biggest benefits of being in the city. It's just like kind of checking into other forms of art, um, that can be inspiring, but not necessarily feel like work. You can be more of a passive observer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as much as I love art because I'm at institutions all day, sometimes that's not what I want to do on my break time. So, um, yeah, a lot of nature and theater and films. I, a lot of dancing, music, you know, mm. just like every everybody's got their, you know, stuff that helps them for sure. Check out. Yeah. And so you do feel like when you check out, you can check out that there there is a switch there where tonight is not about the gallery, it's not about teaching, it's not about your next show. It's just about going out, seeing friends, going to a movie, mm-hmm. dancing, whatever. Like you 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 feel pretty confident in that in that switch. 
Um, not always, but mm. I, I feel the benefits when I do, you yeah, know, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, just setting your phone down and not looking at it for more than, you know, as often as we do, it's like such a pleasure, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it can be so challenging to do that when you have, a, you know, as an artist, I think we're like, you know, I see this with my dad, who's an actor where like, you, you like your work, you know, so there's always more you could be doing to build your practice. And there is this kind of feeling of, especially if you work from home, and there's like, you know, very few layers of separation, you could sort of always be working. And that can, yeah, be really, yeah, not so healthy, depending on how extreme that gets. So, um, yeah, for me, it's like, um, social, you know, setting the phone down, being in nature, I do a lot of walking, and that can be really inspiring for image making. I started uh, doing that more recently, not just like walking the dog, mm-hmm. but just when you're stuck or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I I thought it was a soft option, but now oh, I, yeah. I started liking my walks. Oh yeah. yeah, it's so great, and um, yeah, swimming, like anything, you know, whatever it is for you. I think everyone finds their thing, but anything that like helps you turn your brain off, if you're like an overactive thinker, like I am, it sounds like maybe you are, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, yeah, anything that kind of like tricks you into. Yeah, more of a present state, and it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. But you're right. You do see the benefits, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a way that almost like the sort of painting out of your imagination, mm-hmm. there's a way of trying some of these things mm-hmm. and just seeing what sticks. You mm-hmm. know, like uh, try the walk idea, try this, and then yeah. you can reflect afterwards. Did it actually – was there anything that resonated with you? Did you feel a little better? Yeah. Did the um, – yeah. And I think actually like in teaching, I notice, you know, cause I work with adults sometimes and a lot of people describe drawing as meditative, which I think it can be, but if you're an mm-hmm. artist, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Cause you're, you know, building an image and it's more of like a, um, calibrated process. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I find is like learning a new skill too. like, if, you know, that kind of, again, gets your brain into this mode of, okay, I have to work on something to the point where I can't think of anything else. And that can be really cool, you know, just Mm -hmm. like forcing yourself into a situation where you have to focus on something else entirely. Uh, This might sound a bit odd, but do you, when you're painting in here, do you uh, listen to, you know, voices, podcasts, Mm -hmm. movies, music, all, some, Mm -hmm. none? I used to not at all. And you used to just keep dead quiet. Like, yeah, or, because okay. I'm a total nerd. <laughs> well, no, I but was I, thinking you might say that yeah. because of all of this. Again, you can call it pseudo-social, you know, yeah, yeah. teaching and the gallery mm-hmm. and these things that require mm-hmm. socialization so from you. Yeah, but actually recently I've switched mm-hmm. completely. Like, I love talking on the phone while I'm painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. Just like, again, it's this way of... In some ways, I think it keeps you from getting too tight about things. Like, there's kind of a looseness. And I kind of learned this in doing demonstrations and teaching, where, like, you learn to talk while you're doing something in painting. And you realize, like, oh, I can do these two things at once. And it makes me, like, a little bit less precious in some way about what I'm doing physically because my brain is maybe, like, slightly distracted. And so, anyways, I find that, like, aside from just really enjoying the social component of having someone here hanging with me while I'm working, um, anyone I can, yeah, grab during the day who's (laughs) also available. So, this is... Um, is... So, I like to talk on the phone. Sometimes Mm. I'll listen to podcasts, although, like, 
you know, music podcasts I kind of do when I've like been in here so long, I just like can't be with myself anymore and I need some other stimulant, you know? Um, I like that too. Uh, Again, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but for my own personal practice, I've been thinking that starting with the distraction of uh, music or, Mm -hmm. or a podcast, just, Mm -hmm. uh, you enter the studio, you turn something on and you go to work. Sometimes I think that my painting might require a little bit more mm-hmm. of the the presence and the nowness yeah. and, and all of that. And then yeah. just what you said, when you're just sick to death of that <laughs> yeah. and you put in your time, you know, yeah. then, then well, throw something think, on. Yeah, but. I think just like coming back to this idea of being present, like there's something so special about making time and space for like being with your work in that way. And I think that like sometimes having media on all the time is like a symptom of this crutch that we all use to not feel lonely, you know, or, you know, and so it can, it can be like hard to be without any external stimulant, but also like really, um, enlightening maybe i don't know (laughs) yeah or, or just frustrating depending on your state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had a few more questions about your process, okay. uh, but maybe let's switch gears and talk a little bit about this uh, awesome gallery that mm-hmm. you have, you founded, and you have been the sole, well, of course, you're working with great artists, um, but, you know, this is your baby, and you've been doing it, I wrote this down, you said Four years? Mm-hmm. Well, just under. It'll be four years in October. And 40 shows. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where I'd like to start with it, first of all, it's called Good Naked Gallery. Good mm-hmm. Naked Gallery. I'm, I kind of don't know where I want to start with this line of questioning because for me as an artist, it's always been kind of a, a dream or maybe a pipe dream to add a bit of infrastructure to the art world that seems, well, first of all, like a world I've wanted access to, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to participate and mm-hmm. get known and sell paintings. And, you know, uh, I wanted that, but I also felt like it's such a isolating and self-centered pursuit and it certainly can be when you're in the studio and and that's that that I love the idea of one day adding to the infrastructure mm-hmm. and doing something that you know I had tried different goofy ways of working at contemporary art museums and and you know but that's you're still getting paid for it. that's that's not what I'm talking about I mean something kind of selfless and selfless might be the incorrect word mm-hmm. But just something that's adding to the general positivity of artists around you. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's that it's the effort I believe that takes that is so overwhelming. Uh-huh. You know, because your art practice, it's never good enough. Uh-huh. You could never be uh, productive enough. Right. And so then to not just have an idea. And commit to the idea, but commit to the amount of time that that idea will then take from the other important things in your life. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I, I've i always struggled with. And then I see what you've done with Good Naked. And whether you're the type A personality mm-hmm. that can just do it all, <laughs> I, 
I'm a bit incredulous and very curious about, um, you know, we can start with the origin of it. Um, but I think where I want to go with it is the challenges that I might not be thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, besides, you know, you curate, you, I think probably for years you did hang and Mm -hmm. do like everything. You said you might have a little help now with, you know, tiny amounts of labor, a lot of, a lot of help with art handling, Um, handling. (laughs) but, um, yeah, if you don't mind, I just love to, how did this get started? How did you make the commitment and, um, and how has it changed over the four years and the 40 shows? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it started um, a little bit accidentally. Uh, I had, you know, so I live in this uh, one-bedroom apartment that I, I split up into two. And I I had a roommate in that second bedroom for a long time. Uh-huh. And um, she left, I think, August 2019. Okay. And she went to move in with another friend. And I was kind of feeling like I had aged out of having roommates. <laughs> and um, I had been, as most artists do, always kind of in the back of my mind researching other artists that I loved and kind of yeah. making lists of things that I was interested in and felt connected to. And sort of over the last year before then, just beginning to... Um, write some curatorial proposals, right? Just thinking about what exhibitions might look like that I'd be interested in putting together. Did you have spots in mind? Were you going to use these to apply to spring break or something? Yeah, or? things like that. Okay. Yeah, and like other kind of smaller galleries that had, you know, shown support in different ways, just thinking that, you know, it would be interesting to... At that time, I was thinking like as an independent curator, I could even put my work in context with other artists' works. And um, so... That, and I had done one show like that um, at, it, it's now Hesflato, but it was Crush Curatorial at the mm-hmm. time. So that was 2017. So two years prior, I had launched a show that I felt really proud of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, artists like Genesis Bellinger and Rose Nessler and um, Hayne Coe and mm-hmm. um, an artist that I've still been working with now, Christopher Lynn. Um, and so that was like a really successful show. And I hadn't had a space since then to do something. But I'd been in all of these um, shows at other artist run spaces that I found really inspiring, like this place, no place in Columbus, Ohio. And, mm. you know, Josh Abloh was running his space, Freddie's in Baltimore, you know, and, and I, so I knew, you know, there was, um, you know, just like a number of programs that I was following at a distance that seemed really rigorous and generous and not necessarily in New York City, but mm. like, showing really strong work and getting a lot of press and attention just through the images. Right. And I, I felt like, okay, well I have this extra space. I don't want another roommate. Maybe I could just try for like a month or two, see if I can make rent, you know, cause it would be an extra expense that I wasn't used to and just use it as a way to experiment. And I'll just get really good photos. And I live pretty far out in Brooklyn. And so maybe no one will come, but I'll have good images and we'll see where it leads. Hmm. And um, so that's where it started. And I started making lists of ideas for exhibitions. And within a couple weeks, I had like six months of programming in mind. Like I just had so many ideas that I wanted to do. And these lists aren't just artist lists. These are Themes, concepts, these are yeah. concepts. Mm-hmm. Okay, the whole, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. and then I had like over the last few years been invited to do murals with my own work, and I thought, well, maybe one component of the exhibitions could be inviting people to do murals. Um, so I had these sort of running lists of 
themes, artists, and also people who might be interested in making a mural. Cause I didn't know a lot of artists who did that, but I had some ideas about people who might want to try. Mm. Um, and so I'm kind of like making all these lists, making titles for shows, like kind of putting all the, you know, uh, <laughs> columns together in different mm. ways. And, um, yeah, made a name for the gallery. It came out of a conversation with a friend where I was, you know, kind of bemoaning having to figure out what to do with this extra bedroom. And he said, well, at least you get to walk around naked everywhere. And at the time I had been watching a lot of Seinfeld and, mm-hmm. you know, there's this episode where they talk about what's good naked. Have you seen mm, it? I think so. Yeah. He has a girlfriend that walks around naked everywhere. It's like kind oh, yeah, of yeah, early yeah. in yep, Seinfeld yeah, yeah, yeah. and he thinks it's amazing until she starts like opening pickle jars and fixing bikes naked. And he's like, that's not good naked. So I knew that there was like something funny. Like I love work with humor and I yeah. like there was something funny about talking about something awkward, but intimate and, um, it, it just felt like a good fit. And my parents were a little bit not happy with that title, but I thought, don't worry, like it'll be funny and everyone will love it. And, um, so yeah, I got the website and, um, I started planning shows and that's how it began. And I did six months of shows here in my house hmm. and it got popular to the point where like, you know, I have a doorman downstairs and there would be like three pages of sign-ins just for my apartment and people in the building started kind of looking around going, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. And, um, which is great. It's like a good problem to have, but it definitely, was there any pushback from the building? Like um, having a, yeah, like a little, maybe from like downstairs neighbors. Um, but like not from the management or something. Well, I wasn't like super loud about it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was just like, you know, once a month there was a big party. And then otherwise it was pretty quiet. I did everything by appointment. Drug dealers usually have. Right, right. It's, it's more common than that. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, understand. Okay. So you were flying I mean, a, under the radar. Um, yeah. For the most part, people in the building started kind of poking their heads in, but everyone was, it's a building of artists and musicians. It's pretty supportive overall. Cool. Um, but anyways, um, then the pandemic hit and yeah. um, we had all this momentum and I, I was set to open the next show March 13th. 2020 uh-huh. and um but yeah that's literally that was like right the week after, that that was yeah. the week that everything shut down mm-hmm. and at the time i had um i had sent an email canceling the opening and it felt sort of premature and then it was like clearly not um yeah. but so i i felt really of course just you know like shaken by the world but also yeah. just disappointed uh, because i i felt like there was all this momentum and i really didn't want it to stop and you know at that point i'm living by myself in the pandemic and just feeling like a dearth of you know whatever like just a real need for social and community and um anyways so i decided to try to have a lot of conversations with people around like what continuing might look like Mm -hmm. and I had already some shows planned and I at the time like a friend who was just out of architecture school and hadn't yet gotten a job she said well why don't we try making like um you know a virtual version of your house and we'll hang the show we'll take Mm -hmm. all the images and we made this like video and we kind of all like um did a zoom opening where you could like check into different rooms and it was fun that's cool it was cool yeah and it felt yeah it felt exciting to just try try to solve again these problems Mm And then I think I mentioned earlier, like we moved outdoors once it felt safe to do that. I started hanging art on trees in Prestwick Park. Yeah, which I was became so curious like to my, hear more about that. Yeah, the, uh, it sort of like became, outside, yeah, um, 
So like my daily activity during the pandemic was like a three hour walk. So I like would move from my house around the park and back. And, mm. um, and I spent a lot of time just exploring the area and also kind of scouting locations for like, where could I do some sort of pop up? And, mm. um, so I found a couple areas, one amongst trees and then one in this like kind of open expanse called the Nethermead. <laughs> and, um, there were times in the winter where it would get covered in this blanket of snow and it looked amazing. And I thought we have to do something in the snow. So I did one in the snow the next year. Um, and then I started kind of working towards collaborations with other galleries. So I was showing this artist in New Mexico who, um, Drew Miller, and I wanted to do something with him. And so he said, you know, there's this gallery in Albuquerque where I live. Uh, it's called Calendar Gazebo. It's run by Jonathan Hartshorn. And, um, he used to live in New York. He went to SVA and, um, he said, I think he might be willing to host your gallery if you want to come out here. So I said, okay, we'll show your work and we'll show like another Santa Fe artist I've been talking to and I'll bring a couple New York artists out. Um, so we did a four person show in his gazebo in the backyard. And that was like kind of the, one of the first traveling shows. I'd done another so one cool. at a friend's property in New Hampshire in her field. Um, yeah. And so it kind of just grew from there. And I've since done a few shows back at my house. It feels like the project has outgrown it a little bit, but mm. I'm always sort of thinking about whether it might make sense to come back here. I loved having shows in my house for a number of reasons, but one being that people stick around, you know, it's like a little off the beaten track. And I think people just look at art in a different way when there's more time, you're not rushing to another opening nearby. Um, That's true. That, con- I remember yeah. that from my, mm-hmm. oh, unfortunately, my one visit for a <laughs> yeah, good yeah. naked opening. But you I stayed remember, for a while. <laughs> yeah, I remember hanging out and yeah. chatting. And, and yeah. you're right, it is, it does have a, a character to it. It feels like a house party a little mm-hmm. bit more. And it does. There's like something about the kinds of conversations that were happening that felt, um, yeah, more oriented around building community. And yeah, it was, I think, like at a time where I'd been in New York for, I guess, 2007 to 2019, so like 12 years at that point, I was kind of feeling like I needed something new. And it was like just the thing I needed to kind of open up this whole new conversation with a new crop of artists, like some people I knew, but then it kind of grew into other things. And mm. it kind of like helped me to reinvest in the city in a different way. Um and then there's just like the agency, like you talked about, of um, being an artist and wanting opportunities and just having this feeling all the time of like waiting for someone to offer you something. And then all of a sudden, you know, this part of your brain clicking into like, oh, I can create this space that I'm looking for. I think that's that's really important. Yeah. And um, to take on a project like that, it's that's the reason that I was wrong to use the word like selfless because it's definitely it's, not selfless Yeah, because there's so many but but this yeah. is also something that you know not to toot my own horn but i'm noticing about this podcast is that when it seems like like if i felt like i was taking um like if this took a lot of my energy mm-hmm. uh you know that labor mm-hmm. and on top of that it seemed like i was making the guests reg- regurgitate artist statements and kind Mm. of go through a rigmarole that we all have to go Mm. through it would be um it's it kind of would be the thing that i i think i feared and maybe when i was saying selfless or selfish like the a project can be just this it can just be the thing that excites you the most Mm -hmm. and then the thing that also excites others the most and sometimes it's when things feel very full of effort, uh-huh. it's because they actually are, and it's because you're on the wrong track. But uh-huh. but looking for these projects that are 
you know, you like having people at your house for a house party. Right. And then maybe a big part of getting through COVID for you was, oh, they're, they're you know, these outside shows. These mm-hmm. I wasn't at one, but mm-hmm. sounds like pretty magical experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, uh, the more I think about it, and especially hearing you talk, it's kind of, maybe it's more, it's less about this selfless thing and more about finding a project that you can slip into with... Right. I'm not doubting your effort, your right. level of effort, yeah, yeah. but but maybe it doesn't feel like effort in in yeah. some respects. Well, I think it's like being in the studio. There are parts that feel like effort, yeah, and there are parts sure. that feel it's romantic, right? Like, um, I think it has to feed you, and it has to be generative, right? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I talk to friends who are teachers about this a lot, where like, there's this. Um, you know, there's this kind of rule I have where, like, if if I'm getting, you know, if I'm getting my needs met, then I can be more generous with others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that plays out in a lot of different ways for people in studio and just in life where, like, okay, if I have time in the studio, then I can be, like, generous in providing opportunities for other artists and in teaching, you know, and working with students. Yeah. If I feel, like, deprived in some way and, like, I'm lacking and that's taking away, then I have less, like, room to give. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there has to be a balance, I think, especially if, like, being in the studio is your priority, if you feel mm-hmm. deeply that art is what you're meant to do. Um, but, I, yeah, I've, I've, for the most part, always felt that uh, teaching and the gallery stuff, um, it all informs my practice as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes me, you know, I kind of started working with artists thinking, like, about how I would want you know, what I would want as an artist in relation to a gallery. Mm-hmm. And it makes me also think now on the gallery end about how I want, want to behave as an artist in relation to, mm-hmm. you know, a curator or whatever kind of space is giving me opportunities. Or how you want them to treat you. Of course, like, all of you it. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, yeah, I mean, you, know. you try, right? But like, yeah. it, it's really made me much more aware of what a challenge it can be to sell and, you know, promote work. That and, makes sense. That is and, the um, other side of it that we and rarely I, that was, see. Yeah, yes. just something that I knew nothing about. And I and I wanted to. I think that artists a lot of times just are really in the dark about that end of things. And that was where a lot of conversations started for me, honestly, with artists was like, do you know where your work gets sold, to who, how, for how much, you know, like and really just trying to kind of figure out because I knew that if I wanted to keep it going, it would have to become a commercial entity in some capacity. Mm. And so really just trying to understand the mechanics of how this industry that we're in that is so wild in a million ways works. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's, yeah, it's given me a lot of, yeah, food for thought in that way for sure. Does that food for thought take any concrete forms in terms of goals for either your, your studio practice or good naked benchmarks like things that you not that you're leading with expectations but what does success look like for either of those two or both more more likely both of those two because you're taking them both with you do you have not an end point but a a vision of where you want this stuff to to take you um, for my studio and for the gallery, you mean? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I, f- 
feel like I heard this in an interview recently where somebody was saying like, well, you don't want an end point because that's the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you die like yeah, a day yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do feel like, like to me, my dad always says this and I, I think it's really useful. He's like, you're staying in the game, you know? And mm. that's like, I feel like the win for a lot of artists for better or worse, like success is getting to keep doing your work. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for me in the studio, like it's time in the studio that feel that's a win, right? Getting mm. to make my work and and seeing it out in the world. Like I've never wanted my work to sit around collecting dust, right? So that feels yeah. really important. Um, you know, the finances of it are are ex- incredibly complicated because of the way that the industry functions. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think for me, like with the gallery and for art making, it's like getting to keep doing it right and allowing for both of those things to grow you know so with the gallery i'm kind of always thinking about like what is an interesting way to show work who are artists that i want to give space to that maybe haven't you know gotten an opportunity to show what they're doing Mm. um what my capacity is as one person representing a large group of people um and then yeah in the studio i just feel like honestly on both ends it's like working with really kind you know uh, organized people <laughs> has become a huge priority, right? Yeah, like just, for sure. just like people who are, are fair and, you know, like show up and, and do their work and, mm-hmm. and are, um, gracious, you know, and, um, those sound like basic things, but start to mean a lot. There are a lot of talented artists, but, yeah. but when you're working with people and really wanting to build longer lasting relationships, there's so much more involved than just whether or not they can make a good image. And of, of course, course that's important. But I'm, I'm really interested in like longer, longer game, you know, questions, um, and, you know, building relationships that are more expansive, um, and can, you know, so we can grow together. And so, yeah, that feels like, you know, what's important and interesting to me. And so just trying to figure out ways to sustain that really. That's, I'm really glad you, all of that sounds good, but that last idea about, um, you, right, knowing that you want these relationships to be more than, you know, because it's it's I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, talented artists who provide a certain thing, but then you, you the um, the possibilities of moving uh, forward and long term <laughs> with certain, you know, it, it yeah. you need to, and it, it's I would also suggest maybe it's that awareness and presence that we didn't have five or 10 years ago, you know, when yeah. it's just like, Oh, that's a good painting right, over yeah. there. You know, you or seem just like so excited for an opportunity. I mean, I'm Absolutely. like guilty of this as yeah. well, where you're no, just no, like, no, Oh, I just like want my work out in the world, you know, yeah. like whatever yeah. it takes. And then I, I guess it's also like a privilege of starting to have more opportunities. You get to start being a little bit more, you know, decisive about where you put your time and energy. Yeah. Like yeah. a lame way to say it would be picky, but what it actually is, is, having a little bit more of your radar out for the things that you know don't work as well for you and yeah. and how to be a little bit more maybe protective or just smart yeah, yeah. Like protective of your energy time and then also yeah. um yeah all of all of those things yeah <laughs> that was so much good information i uh i and I think there's so much advice in there, but I still want to ask you a last question about if there might be any advice that you have specifically for, you know, I usually say younger artists or school age artists, but mm-hmm. what about just 
general advice, something that maybe you've gotten or you've learned through your own hard work over the years of all of these different experiences, Mm -hmm. anything you'd like to share to end the podcast? Yeah. Well, one thing um, I always like to come back to is um, asking for what you want. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes it can like, it can be a little bit easier to just look for what's available. And I find that for myself, like, uh, and it's hard because it might not exist. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think like um, the places where I've had the most success in my trajectory and in teaching and in, in art making in the gallery have all been, situations where I kind of just pictured something that I wanted and started like trying to figure out how to manifest it, you know? And, um, and in a lot of ways you can kind of like get ahead of the group, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if you're thinking that way, because, you know, it might not are, there might not already be a call for it, but if, if you can knock on somebody's door before everyone gets to them, (laughs) then you get, you know, you get first, you know, pick at that, you know, conversation. So, um, that that's kind of my mo in a lot of ways. Uh, it's very good advice. Um, sort of, yeah, making something for not looking for that, not looking to fit yourself in, mm-hmm. right? And instead, it's great advice. <laughs> Jacqueline, thank you. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, now, of course, when I'm saying goodbye, I have 10 more questions I want to ask you, but I'll just say good luck on the next uh, show and uh, the solo show and the uh, the next Good Naked show. I'm sure they're going to be great. Thanks so much for taking the time. <laughs> my pleasure. And that was my conversation with Jacqueline Cedar. If you'd like to find out more about her work or her work on the Good Naked Gallery, you can find links to both in the episode description. You can also check her out on her website, which is JacquelineCedar.com, spelled J-A-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about my work, you can go to IsaacMann.com, which is spelled with two A's and two N's. If you have any questions about the podcast, feel free to drop me a line at artmatterspodcast@gmail.com. As I said at the top of the episode, if you are based in the New York area, you can check out Jacqueline's solo show in person at Shelter Gallery at 127 Eldridge on the Lower East Side until December 10th. And actually later in December, you can find her with Shelter Gallery again at the Nada Art Fair in Miami. Finally, to my listeners, thank you all so much for listening to the Art Matters podcast. If you're still enjoying it, please consider leaving a review or a rating or sharing on social media. All that helps get the project into more ears, and I really appreciate it. That's it. Uh, See you back here in two weeks, because remember, Art Matters, the podcast for artists every other Thursday. Isaac out.